as a leader, if you don't, if you don't have a vision that you that you follow, a cause that you follow, what are you serving? We talk about servant leadership sometimes. That it's only about serving your own people. I, I would call that servant management instead, like middle management servant mentality. I would say that the leader serves a cause, a higher cause, and then invites us, the rest of us, to follow. Welcome to the Connected Leadership Podcast, hosted by Andy Lapata, the show where Andy and his guests explore the many ways in which relationships impact business decisions, make leaders' jobs easier, and help you to progress your career. Hello and welcome to the Connected Leadership Podcast. I'm Andy Lapata. Thank you very much for joining me. My guest today is an international keynote speaker and a workplace communication expert. He describes himself as being at the cross point of conscious leadership, customer focus uh, and employee engagement. Uh, he's someone who's often interviewed on national Swedish media and TV and is a regular columnist at various leadership magazines. Uh, now, we uh, we met a few weeks ago uh, in Ireland and we had various conversations over the course of, of our time there. Uh, and it, it became clear from our various conversations that I wanted to invite Anthony onto uh, the Connected Leadership podcast. And we were just trying to work out what uh, what the right topic was to discuss, where the hook was, what our theme should be. And a couple of weeks ago on the Connected Leadership podcast, we had Paul Tawal and Scott Friedman talking about employee engagement, obviously a very important topic when it comes to professional relationships. Uh, But Anthony mentioned something in conversation that sort of took that employee engagement theme and, and put, I guess, a different spin on it, if you like, looked at it from a different angle. And it's one that particularly given the work I do, really caught my attention. Uh, And what Anthony basically said is that how you treat each other internally affects how you engage externally. In the UK in recent weeks, we've seen yet another uh, uh, cabinet minister called out for a bullying scandal. And it, it seems to have been a theme over recent years. And it makes me question if that's the culture Uh, at the top of government, then how does that impact us in the UK as a society? Uh, And if that's how they're treating each other internally, how does it affect how they treat the electorate uh, and and how they make policy? So I think there's a topical bent to this as well. Um, But let's just see where this conversation takes us. I thought it would be an interesting one and a very relevant one for uh, a podcast that's all about professional relationships. Uh, So please welcome my guest, uh, Anthony Lassenai. Anthony, thank you very much for joining the Connected Leadership Podcast. I am so happy to be here with you, Andy. Thank you. We're going to get straight into this this uh, comment that you made to me when we we, we saw each other a few weeks ago. that how you treat each other internally affects how you engage externally. I'm going to ask a blindingly obvious question now, just to kick us off. What do you mean by that? I mean exactly what I said. (laughs) I mean that it has a correlation. You know, the way you meet, greet and treat each other internally will affect your mood, which will also affect, you know, how you meet, greet and treat your customers, for instance. Uh, There's actually a number on this one. Um, If you have people who are rude, at work, you will get about 25% of your staff meeting customers will take out their frustrations on the client. And of course, that has a direct effect on the bottom line. Can I, can I give you an example of myself? When I was uh, you know, 
handling this pretty poorly. I was at my first job after the military service and I was working in a retail store selling office supplies. This was back in 1990 or something like that. And I remember the two of my colleagues both being sick at the same time. So I was alone for like a week or two weeks working my ass off. It was so hard work and I felt underappreciated from the rest of the staff around me. Nobody helped me. Well, some people came at lunch giving me 10 minutes to just eat something. And I remember this client coming up to me saying he needed, I, I don't think, I think it was toner or something for a copy machine. And I just said, and I just, I just, I was, I wasn't nice. I said something like, yeah, I know that you want your toner, but I can tell you right now that the people in the warehouse, they are walking around like headless chicken. So they will not give you, give me, you know, your toner. So you will not get the toner today, sir. And I was just so angry. I just burst it out like that. And it was, it was unnecessary. But I felt good like for two minutes or two seconds. And the customer just left, you know, without any products. I, I didn't even offer him, you know, to, to order the stuff. I was just so angry, 20-something years old. But then this old man, like in his 40s, <laughs> he was the, the head of purchasing for the company. His, he, he went up to me and he said, you know, I listened to that conversation. You, you, you need to know when you trash talk some of our colleagues in front of our clients, you trash talk the whole company. Don't do it. This was a mental slap in the face, but I needed it. You know, yes, I was feeling really low and stressed and frustrated and, and all of that, but it's not the customer's fault. But I went right into that trap, treating the customers bad because I felt bad. So that's just one example. I can give you a ton of other examples as well. But this was one example from me when I failed completely. And of course, we lost business. That guy went home saying, hey, we can't do any business here. We can't buy any stuff here. We need to go somewhere else. Yeah, I'm sure I was going to say, I'm sure he never came back. Uh, I didn't see him at least after that. No. Um, no, he probably waited until you were out of the shop if he ever came back again anyway. Uh, let's. You mentioned a statistic there, and, and there's always people who listen who say, well, okay, let, tell me more about that statistic. So let's dig into that a little bit more. You said 25% of your staff will take out their frustrations on your customers. Uh, can you tell us where that comes from and anything more about that research? It comes from a Swedish research, research scientist who did that, and I can I can find that you know that that, that source. Um, don't have it in my head right now. I have so many numbers when I just find things that, and I look into, for instance, employee engagement that you already talked about having a topic on, and and how that affects absence, uh, errors, accidents, and so on. So I, I look at all that, to gather those numbers, to see you know where they fit and all that, and and then I kind of present it. So this was one of those numbers I presented. I should probably have that with me when I started to talk to you. <laughs> it was my mistake. I'll, I'll try to figure out where it was. But it was a Swedish study in that case. No, that's it's fine. fine. I, and, and that wasn't a, a goal to trip you up, but I think it's interesting. And people will always want to know what you know where you know what the, the source of that is. If you if you share, yeah, that I put with it on LinkedIn uh, at one point where I had the the source, the the scientist, and all that. Uh, but I will yeah. find it for you. I will find. Well, if you send me that blog I, or, or the source, we can pop that into the show notes as well, just in case people yes. want some more some more details on that. Um, so let, let, let's look at that a little bit a, a little bit more. So you were talking there about. About really supp internal supply chain issues, effectively that you're not getting the support you need from your uh, from your colleagues, from your team uh, to 
uh, to serve the customer's needs. Now, one of the problems that you often get with a lot of organizations, if you're customer facing and you understand what they need, and, and you know, you, we're talking here about a sales role, but that customers aren't the only external stakeholder that we face. So it can be people that are dealing with suppliers. It could be people that are dealing uh, with uh, industry associations. It could be a range of different external stakeholders. But if you're the one that's externally facing, your colleagues internally don't necessarily care. It's not their job that you've got that frustration trying to deliver. So how do you get people on board internally to help you deliver the best possible service to those you're facing externally? This is for me a true leadership question. This has less to do with my colleagues and more to do with whoever is the boss. Because if the leaders don't want to create a culture of of a servant culture where we're supposed to help each other out, if we don't have that culture in the company, how can we then how can we then act according to you know any type of culture you know if you have a if you have a toxic culture where it's each man for himself more or less if that's the way you, you treat people then of course that's what what you're going to get and you're right it is not only about clients even though i normally talk about that i have this customer focus but yeah it's about suppliers uh, partners other stakeholders as well and again you can feel almost the frustration in some companies where where they just don't treat people well, regardless of where they are. I remember at one point I was uh, asked to to do a half day training for for uh, again about eighteen salespeople or something like that, uh, eighteen twenty salespeople where it was supposed to be in a stand, you know, this trade show. And I asked them, you know, politely, you know, we have three hours uh, short time. Is it okay for you not to just switch off your phone for the next three hours so we can focus on you know, bringing as much value as possible to you so you can do it for your clients? And the sales manager was in the room, looked up from his computer saying, no, 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 no. Customers comes first. This is just something extra. And just by saying that, he allowed everyone to take a step back and forget everything I said. Some people started to fiddle around with their phone. I had a break. Half of them left. You know, it was just the culture in the company. Don't care so much about that supplier. You know, he's just a supplier. He's not a partner now. That's the feeling they got. And of course, that was the treatment I got as well. So actually, I was I was asked to come back two years later or something like that. They say, can you come back? And I said, yeah, if the sales manager is not in the room, I can come back. Otherwise, no, because I didn't feel very appreciated being there at all. You know, why did you spend money on me when you didn't want my services? So that's another example where you can feel that the, the manager, the boss, the leader set the tone for the whole organization. And, you know, I talked about my own frustration when I was this young kid who, who just kept, got my first job. The culture in that company was that the sales manager made everyone feel afraid, afraid of doing things, afraid of being, you know, showing mistakes, anything like that. So, of course, if, if, the, if that boss didn't tell people to come and help me, they wouldn't help me because they were so occupied f- fixing their own fears and, and, and you know, handling their own stuff. So, so it, was a, it was a bad environment. And it comes from the boss. It, it, it's just like that. You know, you cannot take away the responsibility from the leader in this situation. That was a long answer, Andy. What do you think about that? No, that's fine. That's fine. We want to hear your wisdom. So that's all good. Um, We've talked a lot on the Connected Leadership podcast over the last, certainly over the last few months about 
uh, command and control style leadership and a shift to a more engaging approach. And this sounds like another example of that. Um, when we look at bullying cultures, um, when we look at siloed cultures, I think all of these bullying culture, siloed cultures, there are other examples that come under how you treat people internally. You mentioned it all starts with the culture and it starts with the boss. If you're, let's say you're an aspiring leader or you're a medium to, um, you know, not board level, but just under board level leader in an organization, and you feel that the culture that comes from the very top is 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 not going to shift without that top person changing, and they don't see it, how do you start the process of getting them to recognize the impact a toxic culture is having? Uh, on the way the organization is perceived outside. The higher up that executive exists that does not show uh, empathy and so on, the the more problematic it will be. There's studies showing that if you have executives with perceived high empathy, I'm going to use empathy as the superpower right now because that is the superpower, then if you have people who if you have executives who who are perceived as high, having high empathy then you will have about 70% of your workforce being very engaged and we all know that engagement leads to performance which leads to results so that's kind of the link and for me communication is the the key there to kind of again meet greet and treat people in order to get people engaged in order to get people perform so empathy is is, is that critical superpower and if you don't have that at the very top then then you have a problem a real problem. Uh, of course, if that person is open to that type of feedback, because now we're talking about, you know, you are actually messing up the organization by being a bully, for instance. It's really hard to say, because if that person really is a bully, then you are going to be bullied. So you, you take a very you know, big risk by, by, by addressing it. Uh, the but, only but thing I, I can do... It, yeah, sorry. So, so I, would, I would question that, and I think that is one scenario. But the other mm. scenario is that they have a blind spot around about bullying or silos or, or other toxic elements elsewhere in the organization where they think everything's perfect and they're not seeing the difference. Um, but, but either yeah, the way... unconscious incompetence, more or less. They, they yeah, I guess so. I guess so. Yeah, yeah. I, I think either way, you have a situation where you recognize that we don't have the right culture in this organization. And if... if, if, if uh, okay, if we take a department rather than an organization as a whole, if your sales manager in your training session doesn't see the impact they're having, then you're not going to change anything. Now, one option that you took was, well, I'm not dealing with that sales manager. Um, if you're within the organization, if you're within the sales team, you don't have that choice. So you've got two two options. You either address it or you, you – no, you've got three options. You address it, you live with it, or you walk. And it, yeah, and normally I'm the one who addresses things because yes. I believe that that is within my influence, my circle of yeah. influence. I can I can always address things. If that if it doesn't yeah. help, then, then I've done my part yeah. at least. Yeah, and then I so, can decide if I want to stay with that person or if I want to move to another department. Yeah. So how do you address it? Is it in a? Uh, does it depend on personality type of that individual? Is it in a very upfront way? Do you get people to influence? How would you go about it? Let's say you were on that sales team, you were on the training session that you were running. Um, now I'm mm-hmm. getting, I'm giving you multiple personalities now, um, and, but, uh, uh, and and you saw the way that he responded. 
how would you have addressed it if you were one of those that sales team? Well, f- first of all, if I'm there investing my time in something that I believe is valuable, then I would uh, I would stay on. I would listen. I will I will just act the way I want people to act. I will I will show you know give, show by example. This is what I would do. I would be there, and you know, not everybody left at that particular occasion. You know, some people stayed, and they were the one who excelled when it comes to performance afterwards as well. So lead by example is is one of the things I would do. I don't think I would address my manager at that time, but otherwise, uh, th- this is something that we can discuss. Sandy, you know, I- I've always heard that, that true leadership is, you know, um, praise people um, when other people hear it, and then criticize people when nobody hears it. That's kind of the the rule of thumb, right? This is what you learn early on. But then I talked to um, one of our colleagues in the business, speaking business, talking about power, and she said that's that's all wrong. If if people are mistreating each other for instance in a meeting let's take a meeting as an example and, and some some people are just bullying someone else making them feel invisible or something lift it up right there if you're the boss because if you don't you're just giving everyone permission to act accordingly it's much harder if you are the uh, employee and, and your boss is the one mistreating people how do you do that how do you how do you kind of feedback upwards so to say that is that is a tricky one. What do you say, say Andy? How would you do it? Well, first of all, I think that was a great piece of advice in terms of lift people up. Uh, it, uh, certainly, if you're going to have a conversation with someone more senior than you, uh, you would want to do it one to one, not in a group, because mm. they they they're not going to want to lose face. Uh, and and you know, however you're doing that, if you are um, using it as a, a learning point for other people. Um, then you have to help people save face in the way that you address it. Um, but certainly if I was managing up in that type of scenario, I would probably do that in, in a quieter environment. You know, w- one of the things I would look at is who are the key influencers? Who do they listen to? Um, and I would have conversations with them. Uh, and I would try and find ways to have conversations which are not about that individual uh, but a more general, but trying to bring them around to the idea of a better culture, uh, and then bring it up with with with, with that leader, um, so that you've got other people that that are on side. The other thing that I remember from an earlier business I was in was if you told our colleague who was the company chairman that they were doing what they their idea was wrong, uh, or you came up with a new idea that went against what they did, they would push back. If you sowed seeds over a period of time, uh, mm, then they mm, would take mm. it on as their own idea. So sometimes it's about taking a longer term view of helping them get there step by step rather than getting them to jump across the abyss. So there are a couple of things that, that come to my mind when you say that. One is, of course, that praise, like like specific praise, is is the best way to change a person's behavior or, or, or strengthen a certain behavior, a wanted behavior. And I can do that either to my coworkers or to my boss. If I say something like, you know, when you just ask those two extra questions to really try to understand um, Andy when he spoke, that was awesome because now he could, you know, feel seen, heard, respected. And I like that. Really good work. Saying something like that would make that boss do it again, hopefully. And the other part is that you don't accept any type of criticism if you don't have trust. 
So, so building in trust is the first thing you need to do. And that is why I talk so much about empathy, for instance. It's, it's about building trust. Trust is the password, as, some, as a colleague of mine says sometimes. Uh, I like that. Because when you have trust, then you can start talking about difficult things and make sure that you talk about them before they become infected. So, so I, I always try to I always try to differ the things about conflicts from from uh, disagreements. It's like uh, I can have a scratch, but it's not a wound. As long as it's a scratch, I can talk about it. I can I can handle it. Uh, if it's a wound, then it's gone too far. You know. So so there's there's this idea about conflicts being being very developing for a company. It's good to have conflicts. I totally disagree. Conflicts is when it's gone too far. So you should be afraid of conflicts, but you should be brave in lifting up things before they become a conflict. And that is one of those things that, again, praise is number one. You should always focus on praising the right behavior. But if the wrong behavior shows up, just like I, when I had the wrong behavior and my, my, the, the director of purchasing came up to me, then you need to handle it before it becomes too far gone. And he handled it in the right time because that was the first time I just bursted out something yeah. like that. I could I could take that with me. I trusted this person very much, so I, I could bring in his, his, his advice and then change accordingly. Just saying, okay, stop. I need to I need to make sure that my customers will never experience this because just because I am frustrated. Andy's new book, Just Ask: Why Seeking Support Is Your Greatest Strength, is out now. Looking at the importance of asking for help and admitting vulnerability, it is an essential read in challenging times. Order your copy from Amazon and all good book retailers now, or visit andylapata.com forward slash just ask. Let, let, let's um, pick up on this trust issue. And this is uh, uh, unsurprisingly uh, a regular theme in Connected Leadership podcast episodes. Uh, you say you, you look to build trust first. How do you seek to do that uh, in uh, that internal situation? And, you know, I often talk, when I, when I talk about trust with external stakeholders, with a lot of my clients, I talk about the three, the, the three types of trust that you're looking to build. So there's the personal trust, the trust in you as an individual, the trust in the product or service that you're offering, and the trust in the brand. Uh, now, I would have thought, and it's not something I've really considered before, but I would have thought for this conversation, we're looking at two types of trust. The trust in what you deliver, which is the equivalent of the product or service, and the trust in your decisions and your processes, which is equivalent to the personal trust. Would that, how would you approach that specifically? Would you separate those two out in this scenario? And how do you build that trust in you as a, as a person, as a decision maker, rather than as someone who's doing the job they're, they're, they're employed to do? Trust in your judgment. That's the term I'm looking for. Mm, mm, mm. Good one. I think my spin on this is that uh, we should be predictable. We should be predictable, meaning that we are not, uh, uh, you know, ha having one type of, of, of behavior uh, in the morning and one, two hours later, everything depends on if you got your coffee or if, you know, all of a sudden you're angry about something or you change your mind about something and you're just very unpredictable. That creates uh, an insecurity. You know, can I talk to to Andy today? No, he seemed to be in a good, no, not a good mood today. Let's, let's do it another time and so on. So it's always that kind of 
feeling of predictability. I would rather have an, a, a predictable bad boss because then I can change. You know, for instance, that that's easier because now I know that that person will never be good. So I can I can do something else. It's much harder with the insecurity. Uh, so for me, that is one thing. The other one is just you know attitude, uh, and and if you want to build trust, how about having this servant mindset about helping each other out? If you have that mindset and you go, you know, you also follow through with your actions. It's not only words; it's it's your actions as well. How can I help you? That creates trust. Once you have that, and you and you keep your word, and and you really, you know. Uh, again, predictable from that perspective, you build in trust. Trust comes over time. So if people know that they can count on you, that is trust. If they feel that you're if, that you care for them, that is trust. I, I, I could write a new book. We could write a book, Andy. We just call <laughs> it Care, and then it could be empty pages. Just fill it in with whatever you want. But that's kind of that's kind of the thing. The word care is so important here. And I, I actually believe that I, that you get you get the clients you deserve, you get the, the colleagues you deserve, the team you deserve, and I would use serve as in capital letters here. Because the more you serve your team members, the more they will serve, you know, again, the stakeholders around it. Let me give you another example, if I have the time for that, Andy. Do I, do I have yeah, the time? Yeah, please carry on, please carry on, yeah. Okay, so this is one of my kind of when I'm hypersensitive. So I came to this hotel. Three-star hotel, nothing special, in in a small town somewhere, and it was eight o'clock in the afternoon, uh, in the evening, uh, and by the reception was Lynn. I saw it on her name tag, and she just smiled like a radiant smile with her eyes, not only with her mouth. So it was the whole kind of saying welcome. Oh, thank you so much, uh, Lynn. H- here's my problem. I, I my my luggage is still in Helsinki, Finland. I, I just came from there. I had a keynote, and and it's gone. So I have nothing. Tomorrow morning, I will have a Another speech, and I, you know, I, this is all I have. My, my clothes on my body. Can I buy something from you? Can I buy shirts or something? And that's not an invalid question because some hotels have clothes to buy, right? And she looks at me and she says, "You know what? We don't sell clothes." And that would be it in any normal conversation. She just did her work, but instead she looked at me and she said, "You know what? You seem to have the same size as my colleague." Hang on a second. And she went away and she came back with a white iron shirt one of their job shirts and say, hey, wear this tomorrow. That is that is the next level service. That is five-star service. And I'm thinking, is there something behind? You know, Do they have this kind of good atmosphere where they serve each other internally? And I would guess that they do because in the morning when I came, came, came down to the reception in the morning, Lynn was gone. She was you know, sleeping or something. There was Marielle. And I told Marielle the story and I said, is it possible for me still to, to buy the shirt? Because, you know, I'm, I'm not, otherwise I need to come back here and, and I have a train to catch. And she, she said, you know what? We have plenty of shirts. Why, how about you keep that shirt? And I, and I found that the same mentality runs through this whole hotel chain because I've been to the same hotel chain in other uh, cities as well and they have the same type of mentality. I, I truly believe that they also have the same type of leadership culture within being, you know, we are there to help each other out, which means that we will also help whoever comes to our door doorstep. How, how does it make sense to you? Yeah, totally. And, and I think that it, it I, I like the way you're tying it back to this service and servant mindset. 
Um, and if we look at where we started the conversation with with referencing bullying in the workplace, if you've got that 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 culture of people uh, bullying each other, uh, obstructing each other, being purely focused on their own goals and their own ends, then that is going to translate into how uh, they're being perceived by external stakeholders. It's very hard to switch that tap on and off, turn from cold to hot. If you've got that service servant mindset where you're seeking to help each other, you're seeking to support each other all the time, then it's naturally going to flow through to to your, your external stakeholders. And you also have to give people the mandate to serve. Because there's so many places where they have those extremely strict policies of what you can and cannot do, that sometimes you you could do the right thing, but you don't because it's not in the manual. Mm. So so giving people mandate, autonomy, to act accordingly. You know, this is our mindset. This 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 is how we want to be perceived. This is who we want to be. You know, the whole core values of us. If if I know that, and I can also uh, give people mandate to also act accordingly so it's not only three words on a poster then good things will happen but the do you problem think, is if you don't give people mandate to do things do you think we have a problem though in the i've heard people talk about giving a mandate to serve mm-hmm. in terms of customer service mm-hmm. and you get a lot of focus on customer service you, you want to write a new book here's your title colleague service um, because I never hear anyone talking about giving people that mandate to serve their colleagues, and everyone is focused on their silo. Uh, and um, you, I, I've always said I see more competition than collaboration within organisations, uh, mm. and and a lot of targets are set up um, to create internal competition. And there there are good arguments in favour of internal competition. So let me ask you that: Is internal competition a good thing or a bad thing? I would say that normally it's a bad thing, especially if you have a culture of only competition and nothing about cooperation. As long as you have every incentives on a personal level, for instance, you have, will have an egoistic organization, for sure. And, and uh, personally, I think that that is a problem. I can see, however, that sometimes competition could be good. You know, uh, bring out your best ideas on this topic. Whoever wins will get, you know, something. I remember way back in the days when I was working for a telecom company, Ericsson, and this was so early on that the 3G phones, the first 3G phones showed up. It was that early, so we didn't have anything. And even though we had the patent for, for video telephony that iPhone calls, you know, the Apple calls FaceTime, you know, this was like in 1997 that that patent was, was done way early on. But I had this pet project of... Um, um, talking about and marketing video telephony as, as a possible killer application for, for 3G phones and so on. So I, I said to the organization, hey, here's what we do. Come up with a use case that you think is fun or quirky or, or valuable or something around video telephony. And whoever is the best one will get a 3G phone. And they were highly desirable. Of course, it was a new thing. 
And I got a thousand, a thousand answers, you know, people coming in, just pouring in ideas about how to use it. Well, you know, if you have somebody who's blind, they can just, you know, show where they are on the phone and, and we can guide them or some, some crazy things like, hey, if you have somebody who's kidnapped, <laughs> you can show them. It was all sorts of uh, fun, crazy and, and, and valuable things as well. Like a doctor can all of a sudden, you know, how it is today, you can have video doctors. It didn't exist back in, back in, in, in the beginning of the 2000s. So a thousand ideas, that was the competition for sure, because one would get the phone. But it doesn't mean that we're all egoistic in every other situation. I absolutely have a problem with the us and them scenarios that I see all the time. Uh, it's us here at marketing and those guys in sale. It's us, you know, our, our, we are blue colors and they are white colors. It doesn't create that atmosphere of collaboration that you need. So you're right, colleague service might be a better word for it because, again, if we treat each other well internally and if we see each other as one big we or a one big us, it will, it will just have ripple effects on the way we treat everything else. So I'm all, I'm all in on this one, Andy. So how would you change uh, bonus structures and recognition programs? Because uh, this is a bugbear of mine and it has been for a long time. To mm-hmm. to to break down the them and us silos within organisations, uh, and to in- incentivise and encourage more collaboration and service across uh, between colleagues rather than competition. Well. I mean, if that was an easy thing to solve, then that would be solved for a long time ago. But but a couple of things from my side is, of course, to look at team efforts instead, which means that some people might slack off and, and do less work. But here's the problem I see. We collectively punish everyone just because there are a few bad apples. And that is the wrong approach. You can You can have team bonuses, team incentives, and if somebody doesn't do the job, it's the boss's responsibility to tell that person to do their job. It's not everyone else who should be punished for that. I remember not too long ago, a few years ago, when, when this company called me and said, hey, can you do a lecture on, on a keynote on, on communication for us and, and collaboration? Yeah, sure. How many are you? A hundred people. What's the problem? Well, you know, we just changed processes and, and there are a couple of people who don't follow the new process. How many, I asked? Five. Okay, so you want to take 100 people out of their work for, for a couple of hours, let's, let's say two hours, that 200 hours, just because five people don't follow the new process. Isn't it better to save that money and tell the boss to tell them to follow the process? That's their job. You know? Ah, yeah, you're right. We can do it like that. Yeah. And then they did. You know? <laughs> so, so I didn't get the job, but, but I didn't want the job because it was the wrong approach. So team thing, team team efforts is one thing, and and I know one education company in London actually, a good one. I th- I believe it's a good one. They only measured customer satisfaction. That's it. They only had that as their own metrics. If it was above, let's say, seven point five or five on a ten grade scale, or if it was eight or above eight, I don't know exactly. Then they were able to get some bonuses out of it, and unless they had spent so much money getting that number up to eight, so they, they didn't have it, but. So it's always something in the background with finances, of course. But that was it. It was only about you know how well did we perform according to our customers. That's it. And that creates a team effort. If we didn't have the right material, the right collateral, the right the right uh, the right uh, trainer, the right everything around it, then you know we wouldn't get that number. So even if you're not customer facing, you're still going to get measured on the customer experience. 
if you do it properly and if you yeah. make sure that everyone understands that it's every chain in this link i mean a link in this chain that 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 uh, is important in order to deliver that but you have to kind of instill that mindset in people that everything we do is to create some sort of value why should we exist if we didn't create some sort of value to to someone else hopefully something that is good for both the people and the planet i personally don't think uh, take take assignments from from company who has their you know business uh, focus on on destroying the planet then I, I say i'm not very interested in that they might have an excellent internal communication going on but but i'm not part of it well well that sort of brings up a whole a whole other area as well which is you know you've, you you've talked about how we treat each other internally affects how we engage externally um but increasingly organizations recognize uh, the importance of how we treat each other socially whether it's um whether it's in the community whether it's charitable work whether it's environmental we are looking at these metrics in terms of the organizations that we work with uh, I, I worked with a client recently where they said that 25 percent of their customers buying decisions and this is big corporate big spend clients 25 percent of their buying decision is based on environmental factors rather than product factors um so should we also be looking at how we treat each other uh, as as a global community, impacting on how we treat each other externally as well? And how important is it to get everyone in the organisations buy into a CSR policy compared to just putting something in place and, and doing it? There's no business on a dead planet. Simple as that. So, so for me, it's it's really important to to. You know what you can have. You can have your own. Um, some of your values values might be your own, but there are some that that we should really say. You know, if if you if you believe in this, then this is the company for you. If you don't believe in this, then you should find another place to work. It it should be that simple. Like like a, a one or zero here, when it comes to certain values. And now we can talk about other things. You might like dogs or not. I, 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 that's that's another thing. But if it's, for instance, this is the way we want to to run our operation because we believe in 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 the long game or, or what Simon Sinek called the infinite game. If you don't agree, then fine. I, th th this is a problem though because most of us, I don't know who's that again. The source, I forgot the source, but most of us, like ninety percent of us, we can only have a time span looking forward for about three months to two years that's what we are able to do you know the next month's rent or or the next vacation perhaps i can i can do that or the ne next uh, election period for a politician could be a, perhaps three four years but that's it you know that's what you can do how many of us talk about what will happen in 50 to 80 years it's really hard to, to even imagine that world. But if we don't, if we don't have any type of scenario planning on where we want to be in the future, then everything will be very short-sighted. And some people will not agree on that and leave. And they can be high performers, really good people, and, and they will just find their tribe somewhere else. And then, there, of course, there's some people who don't care because they just need to pay the rent. You know? And so it's, it's all, you know, you have all of them. But, but as, as a leader, if you don't, if you don't have a vision that you that you follow a cause that you follow what are you serving we talk about servant leadership sometimes that it's only about serving your own people 
I, I would call that servant management instead, like middle management servant mentality. I would say that the leader serves a cause, a higher cause, and then invites us, the rest of us, to follow, which is a different story. So, so CSR for me has been in the background for a long time. It's coming more and more to the forefront, and I, and I, love, and I love it because you know I have kids. I want them to grow up in a nice place. I, 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 not something that I plan talking about here, but I think that's such a powerful answer. And what's really nice about it, as well as something important to talk about, I think it brings us full circle onto what what we're you know what we're exploring here, because you used a word that I use a lot, but I rarely, if ever, have heard used in terms of uh, a workplace, and I use it for the community we're both members of, which is the the speaking well you know the professional speaking association in the uk the the nsa of sweden in, in your case and the global speakers federation that both are, are affiliated to and i always call it my tribe and mm. you use that that term in, in saying they'll find their tribe somewhere else is the answer to this of treating each other better internally so that we take more pride in how we engage with people externally by seeing the workplace as a tribe, as a community, rather than just a place where people come to punch, punch in and punch out again. And is that feasible? And if it is, how powerful could it be? Well, if you look at uh, Gallup's study, when they talk about uh, very few people being actively engaged in their work, uh, and then you have some people being actively disengaged in their work, the worst kind, the saboteurs. They talk about the rest of them being just disengaged, which I kind of beg to differ. It's not that simple. Some some people just punch the clock, but some people actually enjoy their work anyway. But it's work. But the more people you can get into the, the higher cause of things, being part of that tribe, the better it is for the company. The better they can you know, discuss things. They don't need to agree on everything, but they have a respectful a considerate, compassionate approach to everyone in that tribe. They, they, they have the same end, end goal, so to say. It creates much, a much stronger uh, culture. We don't want to go all the way into a cult. It's not like that. You know, there that, that's, that's, should be some sort of limit to that. Otherwise, it's just group think. Everybody must think exactly the same on every aspect. And that's not what we're talking about here. But the core values should be part of it. So that's from, from that perspective, I do see it as a tribe. But I like to challenge it even more. How about including your stakeholders in your tribe? How about including the, the partners you have that helps you, you know, with, with their knowledge and expertise? How about help, you know, including the customers in that tribe? I think that the, the strongest brands, they feel, you know, the, the clients as well feel that they're part of the tribe and also the, the supplier. I don't know how many companies like like Harley Davidson, for instance, have people tattooing, you know, putting a tattoo on with Harley Davidson on their you know arm or something like that. Talk about being strong, having a strong tribe mentality. I don't think I would necessarily make a tattoo of my own company <laughs> brand or anything else, even yours, Andy. But it's still kind of an idea just to talk about it from a tribe perspective. There, that's, there, that's my view of it. There, there are people walking around with connecting is not enough tattooed across their belly button. They send me pictures every now and then, but uh, <laughs> I don't publicize them anyway. But but what you're talking about is happening uh, and the rise of social media. You know, Harley Davidson, that, that tribe will, will 
that tribal connection uh, is probably the classic example and has been around for decades. Uh, but social media has accelerated so that brands that aren't status brands like Harley Davidson is are still pursuing that tribal connection with their customers, um, which is really interesting. Um, just to, to um, sort of round this off, how much do you think this is generational? So is it easier to engage millennial Gen Z employees into that community, that tribal workplace, which from the conversation I have, I feel is what they're really looking for. Uh, they want to belong a lot more than than uh, baby boomers and Gen X maybe ever did. Or, or do you think that that's uh, a bit of a distraction? And, and if you play, if if you if you if you approach this in the right way, you can you can engage with anyone. I absolutely think you can engage with anyone, but but perhaps this is the whole hierarchy of needs from Maslow that that our, our millennials for that they don't they haven't experienced perhaps poverty in the same degree, wars in the same degree. I mean, I haven't either really, but it's kind of going towards that kind of creating meaning. You know, wh- why am I here? How can I contribute? You know, not everybody thinks like that, but but enough people are, are going that way. Uh, and, and it's easier to to also talk about the, kind of the tribe being part of this and invite people into that mentality and that culture and that cause if you, if you do have something that you strongly believe in and you, and you communicate it. I, I, I guess the, one of the most awesome examples is what uh, Patagonia is doing right now you know making sure that uh, from now on uh, the boss of the company is the planet you know and everything we do is about you know giving money back from from whatever we sell when it comes to our outdoor equipment into things that will help the planet so that's you know that's that's a strong um positioning that they take that will that will help them both from a business perspective but also getting the right people on board uh, working for them I think that's awesome, and I think that's a great place to 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 close this off because we've taken that journey from let's treat each other better internally because then you're gonna you're going to engage better with external stakeholders, and rather than just saying well let's change the culture, which is where we took the conversation, we've ended up with well if we're all working towards a common cause. And we've taken that as bigger than the organization. And we're talking about tribe and community. And now you're talking about, well, our, our common cause is the planet. Then we're all going to pull in that same direction, which I, I, I'm sorry. I have a terrible pun in my head about um, the common direction for the planet being a gravitational pull, but um, we won't go. Well, I've gone there now, haven't I? In a very, <laughs> yeah, in, in a very clunky <laughs> way. I have yeah, got to work that material through a little bit more. But but yeah, let's let's follow that pull through. So not everyone is going to be working towards that environmental goal, but creating that community, that tribe, that common cause. You you talked a few minutes ago about the common cause of the customer service. It's the same thing. Then it's easier to get it's treat, treating each other better. Yeah, be kind to each other, isn't that? I mean, I just want people to get along. <laughs> that's yeah. my, my my simple goal. If they get along, if the right people get along, they will create magic together. Absolutely, uh, Anthony. Thank you for coming and creating magic on the Connected Leadership Podcast with me for the last uh, forty-five minutes or so. It's been a pleasure to have you on board. It's been such a pleasure, Andy. Thank you so much. So thanks again to Anthony for for joining me. Uh, 
yeah, I, I, it, it was one of those conversations where I didn't quite know where we would go with it. I just knew I had a great starting point and something that was really relevant and I wanted to explore. But I think that that, that journey that I summed up at the end, going from just treating each other nicer, that be kind that Anthony finished with, but actually how do we get there? And rather than just pulling people up and telling them off, create a community, create common cause, create a tribe, involve everyone in the process, everyone in what you're trying to achieve. And I think that that's probably where we do fall down. You know, I, I really do worry about the silos that I see in organizations. And if people don't understand how their work impacts the delivery of someone else, then they're not going to take ownership and responsibility for it. And that's where a lot of the... Uh, the breakdown in communications and, and, and internal bullying can, can come from. So hopefully that's given you a few ideas and some, some things that you can share in practice. Uh, and, and I think it ties nicely in with uh, the customer service conversation I had with David Averin a couple of months ago with the employee engagement process uh, a conversation um, that we had just a couple of weeks ago with Paul Tawal and Scott Friedman. It's the glue that binds it all together and, and brings those different elements into one place. So if you haven't listened to those episodes, please take the time. You can find them uh, wherever you listen to the podcast. And whatever you do, join us again next week on the Connected Leadership Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Connected Leadership Podcast. If you found this valuable, please subscribe, tell your colleagues and friends, share on social media, and post a review on the podcast channel you use to listen to it. And of course, join us again soon for another interesting interview and great connected leadership tips.